This is The Adam Ritz Show, a public affairs talk show touching on community, health, foundations, and more. The Adam Ritz Show is underwritten by Vibonomics, an audio out-of-home advertising marketplace and audio experience company. Info at Vibonomics.com. And now, from the Vibonomics studios, please welcome your public affairs radio host, Adam Ritz. All right, here we go. Welcome to the show. My name is Adam Ritz. This is The Adam Ritz Show. And my good friend Jay Baker is on the telephone with me. Hey, Jay, how are you? I am doing great. We're heading into that holiday season. Yeah, I don't know if you're uh, cold yet. Uh, how are you holding up in the, uh, the, the coziness factor? You got a big uh, fuzzy sweatshirt on right now? Uh, not quite yet, but uh, it is definitely chillier weather. And when going out for walks, you got to create what I call the layered effect. Well, I uh, took a walk the other day. It was 61 degrees, not bad. Uh, and then the next day, the high was, uh, I think, 44. So <laughs> it's, yeah. it's dipping too quick. That's too big, big of a drop. And I know uh, with Thanksgiving right around the corner and then December, I mean, it's going to drop even more than that. So I thought I would start with a story out of Florida to uh, try to warm us up. Um, Good. In the central Florida area, in Orlando, the DeVos family, uh, they own the Orlando Magic. And Chairman Rich DeVos, who, by the way, doesn't like to be known as the owner, which I think is pretty cool. He likes to um, share the team with the community and let them know that they are just the uh, – his him and his family, are they're just the stewards. They're the uh, caretakers of the team. The team belongs to the city of Orlando. So uh, kind of humility is nice to see from, a, from an owner of a professional franchise worth uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe a billion dollars now. I don't know how much a franchise is worth. I've always heard the Dallas Cowboys are worth a billion dollars. Um, maybe with inflation, the, the Cowboys are worth $6 billion now. I don't know. Um, but the DeVos family has uh, committed $3 million to charity uh, this week, and they're calling it 30 grants for 30 years. It's an effort that will contribute a total of $3 million to 30 area Orlando nonprofit organizations uh, to seek to invest in people and projects impacting youth, essential needs for families, and community enrichment across Central Florida. As part of the 30 grants initiative, each selected nonprofit will also be honored at a magic game uh, as part of this season, 2021, I'm sorry, 21-22, or n- into next season, too, 22-23. So representatives from those uh, nonprofits will be honored during the game, which I think is pretty cool because I've always, I've always liked when I go to a sporting event and the announcer says, please direct your attention to the south end zone, and somebody's presenting a big, you know, Happy Gilmore-sized check to a, a charity or nonprofit. Uh, to tip off the giving, the Orlando Magic uh, Youth Foundation will be the first of the 30 organizations. And the Orlando Magic Youth Foundation is committed to helping children reach their full potential. They've been selected to receive uh, the support from the 30 grants for 30 years as the initial grantee. So we tip our hat to the DeVos family and the Orlando Magic for committing $3 million dollars to 30 area nonprofits in the Orlando, Florida area. Uh, I know, you know, I've just spent some money in Orlando, went and saw the mouse, 
and uh, it's nice to hear there's some money changing hands in Orlando that's going to charity and not going to that darn mouse. <laughs> no, I'm with you all the way. You know, it was funny you uh, mentioned the DeVos family because I had encountered that same story myself, and I thought, well, this guy just seems so cool. As you said, he's the owner of a team, but we're kind of used to – almost either eccentric or super rich people that own these teams. And obviously, if you're super rich, as long as you conduct yourself in the community, people are kind of like, okay, but you don't always feel like you're an accessible person. But the DeVos family is very accessible. And I kind of looked them up almost accidentally. And there was a big Forbes article about this family about two or three years ago, urged them to come out and talk a little bit about their philanthropic ways. They had been, the DeVos family had been resistant to sharing the story, not because they weren't proud of their gifts, but just because they're very humble people. But uh, Forbes had estimated that the DeVos family has given $1.3 billion over the course of their philanthropic efforts. That is insane. That is insane. It is amazing. Yeah, besides sports ownership, uh, the chairman of the DeVos family was involved in, oh, and I wrote it down, Amway. There we go. So it was the Amway fortune that has allowed them to live the life that they had. And their um, philanthropy is based on encouraging others to give as well. They give most of their gifts, believe it or not, in Michigan because this family hails from the greater Grand Rapids area. And they give 48% to education, about 27% to health and community services, and then the rest is spread over other nonprofits. But it's actually an amazing saga that goes above and beyond that $3 million gift, which is very generous. Well, you were prepared for this segment. I'll give you that, Jay Baker. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, when you read about these amazing stories, and I think that's what's been great about our show, is we've been able to highlight what some of these philanthropists like to do do and what motivates them and for me it got started because i was such a huge fan of warren buffett i've just been sort of amazed at his work ethic how down to earth he is and that he's sort of the guy that whenever anybody talks about big money figures they always go ask warren because he's been extraordinarily successful in the money world but he has also been the guy that spearheaded many of this uh, where he has challenged other millionaires and billionaires to give up to 90 percent of their net worth. His point was you don't need that money. And by putting it into uh, grassroots nonprofit arenas, you can really help a tremendous number of people by their success and wealth. And it still just blows my mind that uh, the DeVos family has given away $1.2 billion to charity. That's according to Forbes magazine. And, you know, I spent $11 today on lunch, and I'm worried about my, uh, you know, my checkbook bouncing. Uh (laughs) Well, and you're not the only one. And, you know, as we've always talked about here in America— uh, sometimes your concerns can be great or small, but we all do have concerns. And it's only really been the super rich that are kind of like, well, 
money is not an issue, there's maybe other problems on the table. But uh, yes, you're absolutely right. And especially in these very trying and challenging times, there's some concerns, obviously, about, uh, you know, heating costs going up over the winter and the possibility of inflation and things of that nature. So obviously, these gifts come at a great time. For sure. Now, now speaking of Thanksgiving, you know, we our show was the first to talk about some of the phenomena that occurs during certain times of the year. I've read a couple of sources that suggest there may be some tough weather in store for the Midwest and the East Coast during the Thanksgiving weekend. So once again, your results may vary uh, and always give yourself plenty of travel time. But uh, this might be one year if you do plan to travel to look ahead to see what the weather is going to be like. That's good to know. I'm glad you brought that up because at the time of the airing of this show, we'll be uh, less than a week away from Thanksgiving. And the very following weekend is going to be what people consider Thanksgiving weekend. So uh, wherever you're listening uh, from, uh, take some time to look at your weather map or weather app uh, to make sure you'll be uh, safe and warm and cozy uh, when this severe weather may or may not hit in your in your area next week. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It just is a matter of planning ahead and looking ahead. And, you know, I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that we have just the absolute perfect weather because I do like to travel on Thanksgiving. And, uh, yes, it is nice to be able to get out and about. There is a website called The Vacationer. (laughs) It uh, looks at vacations, obviously. They polled 1,000 Americans and asked them, what is your least liked thanksgiving day food you know we tend to sort of emphasize what is your most popular foods but what do you think the least liked thanksgiving day foods are um pickled like those purple eggs what are those called like like pickled (laughs) eggs eggs. yeah pickled eggs you know or deviled eggs too sometimes like you you take the beets and then when you take the beets out of their own purple water then you put your hard-boiled eggs in the purple juice and they turn purple so whether it's beets or purple your family's your family is a family of chefs, isn't it? That is uh, my least favorite, are the beets or the purple eggs that come. Maybe I'm conflating this with Easter. I don't know. I just know Who I don't knows? like those. Uh, what, no. What's, what's on the list? You will not serve those. Uh, overwhelmingly, 29% of Americans said that cranberry sauce was their least liked thanksgiving day food i am totally on board with that i've never enjoyed cranberry or cranberry sauce uh don't need it in a in a gravy bowl uh, on the table uh don't even like the cranberry jello sometimes that you see at a popular cafeteria right you're walking through the uh the coleslaw part of the line uh cranberries yeah i can do without it completely well, the cranberry sauce is always amusing because it's usually in disc shape because it's the shape of the can. So, yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right about that. Believe it or not, 28% of Americans said that turkey was not their favorite Thanksgiving Day food. So uh, while there are alternatives to turkey, we do tend to think of turkey as a Thanksgiving Day food, but not all Americans are on board. I will tell you, and I, I've had this conversation recently, and a lot of people agree with me. When I fill my plate at the Thanksgiving dinner table, 
the the last thing I put on the plate, and maybe I don't even put any on the plate, is turkey. I there go you for go. all of the sides. I want every section of my plate is uh, is a side that, and I strategically place them next to the side that I don't mind having it mix with. So uh, the last thing I want to do is slow down my process by eating turkey. I mean, you can get turkey. <laughs> That's right. I can get turkey any time of the year. I'm not getting, um, you know, the stuffing, the homemade homemade dressing, and homemade broccoli casserole, and homemade chicken and noodles. I'm not getting that stuff any other day of the year. I can get turkey any other time. So I agree with this 27. percent Yeah, 27, percent and then the top five of least liked. Thanksgiving Day foods, green bean casserole, sweet potatoes, and then stuffing rounds out the top five. Uh, stuff? What? Stuffing is in the top. How could you not like stuffing? It's bread. It's it's delicious carbohydrates. Come on, people. That's one of the main <laughs> staples of a Thanksgiving dinner. Although I do agree with green bean casserole. I don't need it. It's just it's cream, no. it's cream of mushroom soup with green beans. Yeah, it's a little too traditional for some people's tastes. Uh, I was thinking of you. The Hershey Company released its biggest Reese's peanut butter cup ever. It was nine inches wide, and it was three and a quarter pounds of solid peanut butter and chocolate. They made about 3,000 of them, and they promptly sold out. I heard about this this week, and I heard that they sold out, and I'm so disappointed that I'm not going to be able to, you know, hold one of these and, more importantly, eat it. Well, I thought of you instantly. Nobody likes the Reese's Company and their prodigious output of uh, peanut butter and chocolate products. Uh, the good news is it's going to be a little pricey, but there's a robust secondary market uh, pretty much uh, spawned by eBay where there are people that did manage to get a hold of one of the 3,000 and are now selling them for some pretty crazy prices. Do we uh, know the price? I think the original retail price was around $46. <laughs> it was not cheap. So it on eBay, what is it, $200 now? <laughs> oh, my God, I bet you there's one. I bet you if you looked right now, I, I'd be willing to bet. I'll pull the car around front if I'm wrong, but uh, I'd be willing to bet there's a guy on there with a two hundred dollar three and a three and a quarter pound Reese's peanut butter I mean, cup. You gotta be in the DeVos family to be able to afford uh, <laughs> one of these new Reese cups. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh there is uh, some promising uh disease prevention being uh tested in Boston for Alzheimer's disease, they've actually come up with a preventative nasal spray. And the reason why this is important news is we've chatted a little bit on the Adam Rich Show about the fact that Alzheimer's has really decimated a lot of older Americans. It's quickly becoming one of the uh, top five reasons that people pass away. And they are testing this new nasal spray at Boston Hospital, and it culminates after 20 years of research. And the reason why they were so concerned is a number of 50- and 60-year-old individuals are showing themselves to have early-onset Alzheimer's, and they feel that the spray 
may be able to stop and or turn around Alzheimer's. Well, uh, is there any uh, details here in your story uh, about the effectiveness of the spray? Right now, they're just in the process of testing it. So they do what they call the double blind test where they create a placebo spray and then they create the actual one that has the active ingredient. And then they give it to a set number of people and then they test the effectiveness. One of the things, unfortunately, that they test, of course, is if there are any side effects to the medicine. And they're certainly hoping that there isn't, but that's one thing you have to be concerned about. Very uh, well, we wish them the best. I know uh, brain disease is a, is a big deal. Uh, it's affected my family. And uh, people have been looking for the uh, cure to this for a long time. We hope they uh, can make some headway here. Yeah, absolutely. This week we had National Philanthropy Day. We talk a lot about philanthropy on the show. But they are urging individuals to use social media to keep their favorite charities in the spotlight. We've always talked about that social media is very draining (laughs) It's seemingly counterproductive at times, but there is sort of an upside to social media. And I have noticed that Facebook is trying to get people more engaged as we head into the holidays and uh, also when people celebrate birthdays to uh, kind of promote that there are nonprofits out there that could certainly use your help and support. That is something we've been touching on for at least 10 years here on The Adam Rich Show, is to uh, use your social media to support your favorite charity. Uh, A lot of times people think, well, I don't have any extra money to uh, help out charities, so uh, I'm not really being that helpful, uh, and there's nothing I can do because I don't have extra money to do something with it. Well, you can do something with your social media. I mean, if you think about the marketing value of a, of a message, um, you know, a corporation pays a lot of money to get their message out to an, to an audience. Well, with, you, with your social media, social media, you have an audience. So if you support, yes. uh, you know, let's just say Alzheimer's disease, if you support a, a brain uh, disease organization to raise awareness and or money and you post that, your thousand friends are going to see it. That is like free advertising. That is you helping. You are doing something yes. and making a difference. And if, I mean, if if tens of thousands of people did that, and each one had a thousand to five thousand friends or followers, I mean, there there's most of America that's going to see these messages, and a certain percentage of those people will actually have the money to donate. So it's a great way to support. Uh, any charity is to is to get online and, and promote it through your social media. Well, and even if it's something simple like your church has a food drive or something of that nature, you're just getting the word out, you know, so you want these events to become uh, more popular. And it doesn't have to be a sensational over the top event. Sometimes these grassroots events are very helpful to communities. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Great point. Now, I'm a bit of a car nut, so I have heard of this before, and if you haven't, it's nothing on you, but it's a very cool event. Have you ever heard of the Pebble Beach Concours? No. It's a very ultra-high-end car show, and it happens at Pebble Beach, which is in the Monterey area of California. This year, they gave $2 million for charity, 
and those are all for local charities in California. But the reason why we bring it up is we love to highlight people that are consistent with their giving. They have been giving $32 million over the history of the Pebble Beach Concourse. And one of the ways that they raise money is because it is such a high-end car event that car manufacturers like Genesis and Bentley and Mercedes-Benz will donate cars for the Pebble Beach Concourse to actually then engage in a charity drawing. Somebody's going to get a great car, and of course, local charities will get a lot of money. Oh yeah, that's uh, those high-end uh, raffles are the best. So you have a, a Tesla, and you sell. Sure. You know, you can sell a raffle ticket for a thousand dollars. And I'm not saying I could afford that, uh, or a lot of people could, but uh, a lot of people can. And if you lim- yes. if you limit it to, uh, you know, a hun- just like a thousand, you're going to have a thousand tickets and a thousand raffle tickets, and you s- and you sell them for a thousand dollars, and you tell the, um, you know, you limit twenty, so someone's going to buy twenty raffle tickets for twenty thousand dollars. Because if they win, they get a they get a hundred thousand dollar Tesla for twenty grand, and if they don't life win, life is good. If they don't win, then they just gave twenty grand to charity that they get to help. Absolutely, no. That's uh, you absolutely have hit on the reason why these charity drawings are have become so successful over the past few few years. So that is Pebble Beach Concours, and you spell it C O N. C-O-U-R-S. It's Pebble Beach Concours, all one word, dot net for more information and how you can engage in next year's charity car drawing. Because by that time, Adam might have found enough change in his couch and he's buying a $20,000 lottery ticket. You never know. You know, I would not take out a loan uh, to buy a, a $1,000 raffle ticket in hopes of winning an $85,000 car. Just the odds would be against me. I probably wouldn't win the car, and then I'd want that $1,000 back. You'd feel good that you gave, but later you'd say, perhaps. Yeah. I was a bit optimistic. Uh, next year is going to be the 71st Pebble Beach Concourse. You can make plans now. It'll be August 21st, 2022. You can hang out and hobnob. I think as a man, you have to wear a straw hat. That's most of the pictures of people at the concourse. (laughs) They look pretty trendy. It sounds a lot like the Catalina wine mixer. Yes, I mean, it's exactly like that where it's super upscale. Super upscale, very high end, uh, near Monterey, California. I know Monterey is a swanky part of the world. Oh, very nice. Well, and then you and I have always talked about this. I think it's really cool sometimes to tap into these high end markets because then you do create this this environment where, you know, I mean, a $2 million contribution to local charities is nothing to sneeze at. No, that's fantastic. That is great. You know, uh, every once in a while we touch on UFOs on this show because that's a lively debate debate for many people. This is more of a fun what if as opposed to anything you should worry about. It's not just a fun what if. I mean, this is a public affairs show and we do like to (laughs) serve the community and we need to know what to do if, in fact, the little green man arrived here on this planet Earth. So... Uh, well, yeah, that's but, what this story is all about, Adam. Okay, so uh, are you seeing UFOs or who did? 
Well, here's a very nice and very knowledgeable woman named Avril Haynes is the director of national intelligence. Now, that's a tough job. She actually oversees all the alphabet soup agencies, you know, NSA and CIA, and she's actually their boss. And uh, she was speaking at a conference not too long ago, and she said that the military, because they have pretty good surveillance gear, hence, you know, you, you do want uh, guys that operate aircraft carriers or military jets to have good equipment. They said that they have kind of winnowed through all these UFO sightings, and there's a good handful now that they cannot rule out as bona fide UFOs, unidentified flying objects. So that is based on military interactions with objects in the sky. So Avril Haynes, I mean, she knows her stuff and she says, hey, there might be UFOs. We don't know if they'll show up in time for Thanksgiving, but they could be there. We don't know <laughs> how, we don't how know many specifically of these, when or where of these. Un, if they are if they're unidentified. I mean, if you have no idea right. what is flying, then that just by definition makes it a UFO. So it doesn't actually <laughs> sure. mean that there is a, well, an alien coming down to Earth like uh, in a quiet place. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, but and it doesn't figures- mean it's not going to happen either. You figure some guys, you know, some military guys on a, you know, big aircraft carrier, they're looking at these films. It's like, if they can't figure it out, I say, eh, okay, yeah. you know, hopefully they'll come in peace. We've seen a lot of movies with Will Smith. Uh, the the <laughs> the UFO dudes seem kind of upset, but <laughs> maybe that won't happen. We don't know. <laughs> well, we're big fans of fundraisers that involve uh substances that people can enjoy in moderation so moderation is the key but i thought this was a great story platform beer is going to do a charity tailgate in cleveland and this is four o'clock on november 28th so you still have time to jump on board for those listening in the greater cleveland area Mm -hmm. Uh, cleveland will play uh, baltimore later that night and it benefits the United Services Organization, or as you probably know them by their popular letters, USO. And I hadn't really thought about that, but the USO is an 80-year-old nonprofit that benefits military and military family members. So the old USO is still going strong, and this is a fundraiser for the USO. That is amazing. Yeah, I you know, you hear the USO. I think was it Captain America that uh yes. you know, in World War 2 was uh w- went around uh, to try to support the USO before he actually started saving lives and beating up bad guys. Uh so you know <laughs> when I think of the USO, I just think of like some old uh war bonds organization from 1941. And it's they're yeah. still going strong. It's still an organization still going strong that yeah. uh, serves military families. And I thought it was cool. Platform Beer is uh, from an association with the Browns, who have named Platform their official craft beer. So I thought that that was kind of a cool event. Oh, and they said it was pet friendly. So <laughs> you know how your dog loves the tailgate. <laughs> Yeah, that's your odd. Dog. Put him in a Browns jersey and bring him on out. I mean, you're lucky if you're going to get me to show up in Cleveland in this weather to stand outside and tailgate, let alone bring the family pet. 
<laughs> yeah, dog, dog it's, friendly. It's all for a it's all for a good cause, of course. And here's our head scratcher story of the week. Some postcards that were mailed back in 1916. They were sent to soldiers at a World War One training center. Well, they never arrived. In fact, they got stuck, and they're not sure exactly how, but they were stuck and later found on the roof of a Scotland train station during a renovation. So recently, like the renovation was in the last couple of weeks, and they found those those postcards? Yeah, this just happened within the last month. These postcards from 1916 were discovered. Were they on the roof? I mean, was it not windy? They were on the roof, so yeah, they don't know if this was a mailbag that was tossed out of a train. I mean, we've seen that. But uh, oh, they were a mailbag. I, I thought these postcards yeah. were just strewn across a roof, and there wasn't any wind for 100 years. <laughs> it was the oddest thing. Yeah, how could that have happened? But I thought that that was uh, very interesting, and uh, they actually feel a little bit bad that this uh, occurred. Uh, So they are doing their best to track down the uh, descendants of the people that these cards were sent to. Oh, how cool. If you got a postcard that was, you know, sent to your great-grandfather in 1916, if you got it. That is very interesting. Thank you, Jay Baker, for all that you do to bring interesting stories to this public affairs show. Uh, Community service, keep out... Uh, Keep an eye out for the little green men that might show up to your Thanksgiving dinner this uh, Thursday. All right, this has been the Adam Ritz Show. Thanks for listening. You can hear this show and our past shows in podcast form on our website, adamritzshow.com. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live in studio at the Vibonomics Worldwide Headquarters. Learn more about the Vibonomics Audio Out-of-Home Marketplace at vibonomics.com. For information on this broadcast, including past on-demand episodes, interview submissions, and syndication contacts, visit adamritzshow.com.